Hey everybody, special episode. I don't know how special these episodes are. I like to think that they're always as special because we're talking about different things. Circus here. Hey. We have a very heavy docket to talk about. We we want to talk about like, you know, while we're talking about impeachment and Star Wars and all the other like really cool things that are happening in the world, uh, we should probably talk about like the waste of billions and billions of dollars and billions and billions of lives overseas. It's a thing. It happened. Weirdly enough, it's not really making the news or anything. We should probably give like, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes to that. And then we'll talk about cats. That godforsaken abomination of a film, I think they're calling it. I think the trailer is really horrifying enough without having to, like, see the movie. Even the furries don't like it, so now I have to see it. I personally, I mean, I'll I'll go see anything if furries don't like it. I'll just be like, my people, if they're not there, I'm there. I mean, if they're saying that they wouldn't fuck these things, then they must really be god-awful ugly. It must be real works of art. I mean, if you've made a Taylor Swift and an Idris Elba furry, and furries aren't interested in them, you've worked overtime. There's gotta be some, like, human rights violations in here. Maybe the director is Valsell, and he just wants to make sure that there's no horny in the movie, and that was why he designed the cats the way he did. Maybe he's, like, mission accomplished. Think about it. Think about it. It's absolutely haram. Will be no fucking of the cats in this Christian household. Oh, not fuck the cats. They'll put like the the ushers will have a little sign. Don't do it. They'll have a public service announcement from the cast. They'll be singing like "We Are the World" or something like it. But you know, there's gonna be some people just desperate enough to do it anyway. I probably there's at least one person that was looking forward to this. They're they're obviously some kind of sadist masochist mix. And they're probably, like, devastated that they're going to fix the faces on these things. At what stage do you just give it up and, like, watch a puppet show or something at home? I mean, $12. I mean, these movie tickets, they get more and more expensive. (laughs) At that point, just stick cat ears on a blow-up doll. Jesus. There has to be something on Netflix that will scratch your itch that you can get off to and save yourself, like, $12 plus popcorn plus... (laughs) <laughs> the ushers have to stop you from sneaking catnip into the theater. <laughs> they spray you down with a water bottle if they see you getting too horny. <laughs> I'm almost afraid of getting stories where it's like, you know when Fifty Shades of Grey came out and they had like cucumbers and stuff left in the theaters? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Is that real? Yeah. That's fucking horrifying. These These people must not go to movie theaters very often. I mean... They're probably banned from all of them. They're probably, like, housewives. Their husband didn't go. If you are, like, married and your wife took a solo trip to Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, you're not you're not the kind of guy who's paying attention to the produce in your house. <laughs> just, <laughs> the food just comes in and you eat it. You're clearly not very attentive. So, you know, she sneaks away with some cucumber. Hopefully, well, luckily, they left it in the movie theater and didn't, like, try to bring it home and stretch their dollar. You could be. Oh Jesus Christ! What the fuck? He probably whoever this guy is probably thinks his wife just went to like a spa day and wanted to save money on like facial treatments. Oh God, you're probably right. She's probably missing a lot of facial treatments if she's going to Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> Let's talk about you've wasted a significant portion of your life over the holidays trying to shed light on the Afghanistan situation. 
Yeah, so the Afghanistan papers came out about a week ago today. I read all 2,000 pages, and then some. Did you sleep? No, sleep is for the week. Where would you rate it uh, in comparison to the Harry Potter books? Uh, about a 7 out of 10. A oh, bit okay. more civilian deaths, and I mean, about the same amount of money was wasted. You know that <laughs> entire fucking ca- castle getting destroyed couldn't have been cheap. Still the same rich people trying to play savior of the world and failing miserably. It's like convoluted, fucked up Harry Potter, pretty much. I think I'd rather have the Harry Potter movies than the Afghanistan war. Just because, you know, the Harry Potter movies, they cranked them out pretty quick. It was like seven years and then out. This Afghanistan war will never end. It will be here forever, long after we're all dead. Yeah, I mean, we're two generations in. There are people who are now troops who weren't even alive when the fucking war started, so. And um, do you want to talk about the thing you wrote? Uh, The 50-page dossier that's now gone? Uh, it's really just disgusting. Did you write this in Word? Am I just blaming Microsoft Word for this? Yeah, I wrote it in, I wrote it in Word like a dumbass. Microsoft Word, you're fucking garbage. I don't know if anybody who works at Microsoft hears this. Why is this still something that exists? That someone can write like a 50-page paper and then like the power goes out and it just stops existing? Like how can that still be a thing in 2020? Oh my god, it's gonna be 2020 in five days. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, What the fuck? Life keeps going faster and faster. We're all helpless and useless and extreme. Horror and pain is inevitable. What else we got? It's terrible. The 2010s are ending, but you know it's not ending? The war in Afghanistan? I l- what an incredible segue. Yeah, what, what strikes you as like the main observations you got from actually reading So the thing with the Afghanistan papers is it's a whole lot of shit we already knew. Like, I don't think anyone Uh. has been under the impression that we were winning the war in Afghanistan since it, like, started. But the problem is that the government went to absurd extent to try and spin this as something we could win. And I'm pretty sure almost every single year since 2010, they've been insisting this war was going to be over the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year. But it's just jarring how much money went into trying to hide all of this, because this wasn't just lying. This was people paying uh, human rights agencies to try and skew the information that they got from going over to Afghanistan to see how this was going. And money was spent trying to hide the extent of how bad we fucked up here and you know this is a war that's gone into the trillions at this point and that's not even counting the amount of money that the va spends for injured and disabled veterans even though that's probably not a lot but still it's just it's not so much that this was information we didn't know it's just there's no possible way you can look at literally 19 years because from the couple weeks after it started there's documents saying that there's no possible way we could win this and it's kind of jarring to see how to the public we were being told that this would be over next year and we were totally gonna win and then people didn't die in vain but behind the scenes these people were admitting that we were pretty fucked do we still win wars are wars still things that people win in the 20th century I wouldn't say that. I mean, I guess when could be there wasn't a nuclear holocaust, so I guess technically everybody won. But it's not like in World War II anymore, where someone signs a treaty and they're like, oh, you officially won. Yeah, I think when I when I started talking to you, my number one question that was on my mind was like, 
what are you going to learn from reading that that people don't already know? And it feels to me, just listening to you talk, that people might not understand the sheer amount of money that was like spent, that was thrown after bad money, how much bad money was thrown after this, just in terms of trying to brush something up after it was clearly, you know, gone, after it was clearly out of reach. So the war in the past 18 years, it's cost around $978 billion. And that's just kind of a vague estimate because the U.S. government has been absolute donkey dicks at keeping up with how much money we've spent. It's like a college girl who goes to a nightclub and just gets fucking blackout and she wakes up the next morning to see her tab. So uh, it, it's essentially gotten to around a trillion dollars because they're not actually sure. The official number is $978 billion. But that doesn't count how much money goes to, like, mercenary groups and, you know, treatment of injured and disabled veterans and things like that. Which is a lot of fucking money under any circumstances. But once you add to the fact that they knew from around, like, a million dollars that this war was fucked, it really puts into perspective how much money the United States military and government is willing to put forward into not admitting when we've screwed up. Uh, I know one of your role models, um, we've talked off air, just one of your inspirations and favorite people, uh, John Kerry once said, you know, how do you ask someone to be the last person to die for a mistake? And I feel like we had kind of the same issue here in foreign policy, except it's with money. Like, how do you ask someone to spend the last dollar? And there's absolutely no willpower to stop spending money. And weirdly enough, like we're still going through that now. I mean, the military budget is still like a sacrosanct thing. Yeah, ever-growing, ever-being-misspent. Uh, and it's still good money being thrown after bad because nobody wants to be the person that gets caught weak or whatever. So it's just infinite money just getting chucked into a fucking bonfire. And the problem with the military budget is it's not even an honest budget because you have to take into account the amount of fundraising that they do directly to the american public that's absolutely true with things like military family fundraising and you already know how i feel about that shit but love it you're not the fan. topic <laughs> but you know things like the va having to beg for money because their budget keeps getting cut while the government is insisting to hell and back that they're taking better care of the troops and that's what all this money is going forward when every single year our military budget increases. So that's kind of in the same vein of them bullshitting us about the Afghanistan war. It's they're bullshitting us about how the troops are being treated. The problem with both the war and like treatment of veterans is there is such a tremendous disconnect from the average person. They are not connected with what's going on at all. Yeah, it's like unless you live in a town that's predominantly taken up by military members who are stationed in the area or you're either in the military or a military family yourself, really most of the information you have to go on is what's being fed to you through the media and things that the government is telling you, which according to these papers is obviously not true. You heard that saying, uh, I'm probably not quoting it right, but you know, America is not at war. The Marine Corps is at war and America is at the mall. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, your your average American life is not really impacted by what's going on over there because, like, it used to be that there would be bread lines or something. There would be rationing or, you know, even during the Cold War, there would be, like, drills, which always strikes me as weird, by the way, because, you know, if someone really does drop a nuclear bomb on you, you know, hiding yeah, it's under basically the, just your desk. The lean over and cover your head is basically just lean over and kiss your ass goodbye. Kiss with that ass steps. goodbye. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, given that people work and they go to school and they're just living their life. So for a lot of people, it's that none of this exists. And I think that there's we're talking now about how the media is covering this information and they're kind of not because the approval rating for these kind of like military adventures, it goes down the more that there's actual the ability to see it. So as long as it's not on TV, you know, it's not happening. Yeah, definitely. And we're not a few years after 9-11 anymore. They can't just write off of the patriotism and misplaced nationalism that drove the support for the Iraq and Afghanistan wars to begin with. Because, you know, people are fucking tired. They're not buying into this so much anymore. It's just for the average American, it's not at the forefront of their lives. So they don't really have to think about it much. So talking about it in the media a bunch is just bringing it back and reminding people that they're pissed off about this. And I think there's a level of frustration because, like, what do we want people to do? Like, I don't know if there's even a big difference of opinion. Like, even if you were to go to talk to some Republicans about the war in Afghanistan, because it's not Trump's it's not Trump's war, really. Like, it's George Bush's war. To a lesser extent, it's Obama's war. It's been a while. The problem with that is that pretty much on both sides, they want the war to end unless, you know, they're directly profiting off of it, which is quite a few people in Congress or they're either in the super PAC's pocket or their brother is literally the fucking CEO of Blackwater uh, or Academy, whatever the fuck they're calling that stupid shit now. E, whatever it is. Yeah, with an I at the end. But anyone who isn't directly profiting off of this on both sides agreed that the war should end, but they're always too busy insisting that it's the other side's fault. So nobody really wants to admit that maybe this was a fuck-up all around, and that that would also require them to acknowledge that the two-party system is bullshit, and that, you know, Democrat, Republican, they're all a bunch of fucking war hawks. And I think that's just a bit too hard for some people to admit or even grasp. I think when you're talking about, like, who's profiting, who's profiting directly from the conflicts in Afghanistan, it's also important to remember that it's not just about, like, you own a business that makes money off the military. The military is represented in every district, right? There's a building project in every district. There's, you know, a base. There's some There's some way that the money trickles down to jobs in your neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, be it fundraising or VA or just things like that, it just, as much as it's not at the forefront of the average American's life, it does just kind of encase everything about the U.S. culture, because it's very largely a war hawk culture, and I think, you know, we may not notice that, but between taxes and, you know, the American flags literally everywhere and the support your troops propaganda we see, it's just everywhere. So the people who profit off of that stuff being everywhere don't really profit off of people just deciding that this isn't really right anymore as if it ever was. 
there's so much bad shit going on. Like, even just inside the armed forces, I mean, you have, like, Trump sending troops to, like, guard oil fields, and he's planning to, like, somehow sell the oil from the field. I don't know if he understands how any of that works. Like, who's going to actually get the oil? It's going to be, like, corporations, and they're going to do what the fuck they want with the oil. Yeah, I don't think Donald Trump is really a cognizant man unto himself. I think he's like a toddler that's just repeating what they hear mom and dad saying over the dinner table without actually understanding what any of that shit means. So a lot of that stuff gets lost in translation for him, so he ends up saying something that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, when he says we should get the oil, I'm not sure he knows who we is. We is usually private enterprise. It's not like we're going to nationalize another country's oil. Which would be weird in its own way. You can't course. really nationalize something that's not in your nation. In your nation? Ah, but that's where you're wrong. <laughs> um, I'd like to introduce you to a country called the United States of America. And we do that shit all the time. It's really terrible. I, th- I don't think you mean oil. I think you mean freedom juice. And oh, you're yeah. just too un-American to understand that we need all the freedom juice we can get, and these countries clearly don't deserve it. You have people, like, this is not hypothetical, this, these are actual stories of people I've, like, interacted with, who, like, went to serve in Afghanistan, and now their kids are going. Like, someone, I don't remember where I read this, but somebody was posting online, and they were like, um, yeah, my friend, you know, we went to Afghanistan together, and it's been, like, so long that his daughter like enlisted a couple months ago yeah about a third of the people i went to school with are either already deployed or about to deploy to afghanistan and that's really fucking i mean fucked up is the best way you could put it when this was a war that was supposed to be over by the time we were in kindergarten and now i've got a friend that's 17 and he just enlisted and he wasn't even fucking alive when this started And obviously, like, all this shit's happened, and we're, you know, 20 minutes into this, and I don't think we've even talked about, like, the number of people who died in Afghanistan. I think it's, like, in the six figures. And there's no way that, like, all of those people were, you know, the Taliban, I don't think is that big, that they're just the Taliban swarming up and down Afghanistan. It's it's not even the Taliban anymore. It's just we keep creating splinter groups. Yeah, it's, it's something new every year. I don't think ISIS has a presence in Afghanistan, do they? Uh, no. It's, uh, I mean, their name says that they're the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, so... Get, get them out of here. It's it's just terror. It's just really fucking wretched. I mean, and obviously, like, a lot of police officers have also died in, in the past few years. Just just in Afghanistan, I mean. Not, like, local cops, like a Blue Lives Matter thing. Yeah, I, I was mean, gonna say fuck off. Yeah, I just mean, like, civil... I mean, like, the effort to establish, like, civil society there has not gone well. I mean, it's like Mexico, but worse. It's just fucking open season on people over there, and it's really rough. Yeah, and I think that's something we also need to talk more about, is the civilian aspect of this because in the 18 years of war there have been untold numbers of like of people in afghanistan who have lost their lives for this and the very vast majority of them didn't have anything to do with the taliban i mean we're talking about children and pregnant women and the elderly who were just kind of minding their own business and they had a bomb go off beside them or they got shot by a sniper and it's like and we start these kind of 
confrontations. I mean, you tell me because you read that. How much genuine talk is about winning or even the possibility of winning? It feels like the war is its own goal and it's fought to perpetuate itself. I mean, with the documents, you can definitely see that there are people who went into this thinking, oh, we can win this. And then six months in, you had Donald Rumsfeld writing a document about how we were fucked. And he had one memo that was sent to another person that was essentially just, it was literally one word, it said help. And then it was followed by him admitting that we had zero idea what we were doing when we arrived in Afghanistan. And it really makes you think about how, yeah, I guess some of these people had good intentions when they went in, but, you know, the road to hell. But it also talks about how they were training people in Afghanistan to be soldiers to take our place when we eventually quote-unquote left. But the problem is they were so unorganized because nobody was actually making the effort to organize these people into an actual militia that what there was of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda was essentially just stomping all over them or these people would go rogue and kill American soldiers which would feed into the whole never-ending cycle of anti-Afghan sentiment. When we talk about like the Afghanistan war, I think a lot of emphasis is put on the Bush years because I think that's a lot of the stuff that's most morally outraging comes from that time period. Well, yeah, because it was the, I mean, on top of the Afghanistan war, it was him in Iraq and the whole no weapons of mass destruction here at the press dinner. So I guess, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not defending this guy. The day I find out George W. Bush is in hell will be the single happiest day of my life. But it wasn't just him. Obama, you know, up the ante on drone strikes uh, during his entire presidency. And I don't want to hear shit about people trying to say that Trump is innocent in all of this because he fucking isn't. He may be too much of a dumbass to realize what he's doing, but he's still doing it. Well, I don't I don't want to get you too ahead of where, where I'm going here. When we talk about, you know, Obama, well, first of all, to go back to Bush, you know, I think part of the reason why people were so upset at Bush was because like the project for a new American century was basically like a think tank conceived to, I'm barely exaggerating when I say to conquer the Middle East and to like make it a bastion for democracy or whatever and install US friendly people in practically every country over in that region of the world. The wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were prongs in a much larger uh, project of conquest. Yeah, they were a step on the ladder. Right. And with Obama, obviously that think tank did not have influence. Um, And Obama is considered like an intelligent and reasonable person by the media. So why why did intelligence and reason uh, not manage to put the brakes on the imperial project that was started under, you know, Bush, who you would think had a completely different ideology about war in Afghanistan in particular? Like, how how did it perpetuate through all eight years of Obama, who ran on stopping the war in Afghanistan to begin with? I think with Bush and the Project for a New American Century, it was very, I don't want to say human, because it kind of was, because that was when we started putting boots on the ground. So that was when the human toll really became apparent. Um, And Afghanistan and Iraq were just rungs on the ladder in an attempt to further this. But... I feel as if, uh, and don't take what I say as gospel here, because, you know, I was like seven for the majority of this. 
I feel as if Obama was just not so much nicer about this. He was just very good at putting a rose-colored tint on it. And I don't think anyone ever from the get-go thought that drone strikes were good. It was just he was putting this as a way to bring American troops home. And I feel as if that maybe played into the American patriotism and the idea of bringing our boys home, even though anyone who stopped to think about it would know that that wouldn't actually end the war. Um, to what degree did using a more technocratic and less boots on the ground approach improve the situation in Afghanistan? Did it help? Did it hurt? Did it just perpetuate itself? I mean, it certainly didn't help with the humanitarian view of it because, you know, a drone most certainly can't figure out what's a child wearing a flowery turban. Or actually, I think Bush might. Bush was the first to use drones. And I feel that people were really latching onto drones being bad when he first put them on because, you know, it was Bush. Everyone's like, you fucking war hawk, son of a bitch. But. As soon as peace-loving, yay, America, bring the troops home, kill bin Laden, and it'll all be over, Obama came in, I guess people became more accepting of it because it seemed that he actually was using these things for good. And this certainly didn't help not murdering civilians en masse and then also journalists and humanitarians and pretty much anyone who had the misfortune of being in the vague area. But it kind of... mm, you know, that's actually a difficult question because it it certainly did not help keep, you know, soldiers from getting PTSD from war. You know, we saw during the Obama years that number uptick. So you can't really say that it helped so much as it just made the American public feel better about it. Yeah, you know, when we talk about things going into history, I mean, you can't always judge what the impact of something is right away. And I mean, Obama literally just left like four years ago. It's not a long time. It feels longer because... It feels like a century. It feels like a decade has passed. Trump is just like opening the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant in slow motion and our skulls have just been melting every single day, just very slowly. It's like we're all collectively raising a toddler, but this toddler has the nuclear code, so we have no idea what the fuck is about to happen. It's like six days in one day. Yeah, it's it's very rough. To what degree has public opinion, do you think, just your personal opinion, changed about the war since Trump took it over? I mean, I think there's just a universal, everybody knows he's an idiot. I can't really answer that helpfully because the very, very vast majority of my life was spent on a military installment, only speaking to other people involved with the military. So I, up until the last year, or about two years now, I don't really have much of a gauge on civilian public opinion of really anything. You've been in a cave your entire life, and you're seeing the sun for the first time. Yeah, I grew up in a literal compound. I, I think there's just been like a weary acceptance of it. Nobody likes it. I think there's just fear that whatever is left behind is going to be worse than the status quo, and nobody wants to take that jump. I think everybody, it's just been so long that it is just the way it is. But also, from what I've heard, there are people, and I'm not sure if this is a lot of people because I just, I talk to a lot of the the world's ending types, but people are afraid of when this ends, 
how it's going to end. Like, will it just be some quiet, we pull troops, or will it be some catastrophic, a new regime is created, and, I mean, obviously they're not going to be terribly fond of the United States for obvious reasons, but, you know, what will the end look like? And I think that fear of the unknown is what's keeping people from more actively going out to speak against the war in Afghanistan. And a lot of money's been spent on cultivating the fear of the unknown, I mean. Yeah, I mean, with propaganda that has gone into this, and not even just, like, posters and stuff, funding journalist trips to Afghanistan to film the worst of the war is just making it look both worse and better than it is. And people see that and they think, well, if it's this bad now, what's the fall gonna look like? And that really just kind of ignores the fact that the, we, we have already fallen, and there's a reason Afghanistan is called the graveyard of, what was it? Empires. Yeah, graveyard of empires. And it was that before we went there, I mean, Russia got into it, like literally lots, whatever, lots of people have got, got gone to war in Afghanistan and gotten just irretrievably mired down. The issue with, with it, with the United States is the United States can just spend infinite money and infinite toil on avoiding the shame of just leaving. So I think pride and ego and industry have just kind of kept this corpse shambling forwards forever. And it's got to be very depressing. Uh, just the amount of how apathy has really sunk in. And, you know, even with Trump, I mean, you have this guy who's like a known con man. He's on camera talking about molesting people. He still gets selected. People are just fucking assholes. And there's no um, collective will to de-assholeify the country. It's, it's a bummer. It sucks. <laughs> it really does. I feel that it's not so much people are being assholes it's just this is i mean with 18 years this is a very difficult thing to grasp we've gone full starship troopers and i feel that maybe we've gone from using that as a warning to using the film as a handbook <laughs> i'm doing my part no one's doing their part that's the problem they're There's doing like their part continuing this damn that's actually really chilling and literally fucking accurate are there any other takeaways that people might not have considered that they can use to talk to their friends about what's going on? Like, how do we how do we talk to other people about this? We probably shouldn't talk about like without mentioning Starship Troopers, even though it's iconic. I mean, to be fair, that is a really good movie, but uh, that's a difficult question. I think that's why that I'm asking not. you. That's literally <laughs> it was it's my job to answer, answer the question myself. Yeah. Um. I feel that it, maybe it just depends on who you're talking to. Uh, some people are going to be more receptive to you just showing them the facts, but that usually is because they already felt this way and you're just proving what they're saying. But with a lot of people, it may have to come to a head where a whole bunch of people die at once in like a really horrific way, even compared to the way people have been dying with things like white phosphorus. Uh, it, it may take a bunch of 18, 19 year olds who weren't even alive when this war started dying a horrific death for people to acknowledge that maybe this isn't okay. Uh, let me tell you, as somebody who lived through 9-11, sometimes that does not work. <laughs> 
sometimes people go the exact opposite direction and they there's no like boy this should not happen it'll be it'll become like a how do we get revenge on the people that did this actually you know what though that maybe that will never happen again maybe there's so much exhaustion and weariness that like there's no energy i think not to not to be super pessimistic but i grew up around a couple people who lost a parent in the war or as the direct aftermath of the war because of things like post-traumatic stress disorder and their anger was often not aimed at the institution that sent their parent there to die in the first place it was aimed at you know in quotes that raghead who shot my dad or like they did this and now my dad is sick and it hurt him and he's dead now and it is really fed into and that might just be because of the area i grew up in and the general culture of not really acknowledging you know once we've lost and we lost from the beginning the u.s government is very good at directing your anger to anyone except the U.S. government. And you can see that in things like the 9-11 Commission Report, in which they were going well out of their way to blame pretty much anyone except the U.S. government who knew that this could potentially happen and just didn't really do anything to stop it. And then with multiple attacks in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, that they kind of had an idea was about to happen and just didn't really do anything to stop it. But it will always be somebody else's fault. And I, again, not to sound too pessimistic, but I think we've just attached ourselves to a train that is going off the tracks. And unless something happens very, very soon, and is very, very extreme to wake up a whole bunch of people, I'm really not sure what's going to happen next. In the meanwhile, um, watch Cats. When are you going to go see Cats? Uh, I think I'm going to go see it this weekend. Uh, watch Cats. Don't get horny during Cats. Bring your own, <laughs> bring your own water bottle. If you see bottle. someone acting weird, just spray them. Just bring a spray bottle of vinegar. That always works with my cats. I think it'll be mostly uh, women going to cats. I don't know what the gender split is. I don't know. Men seem to be furries more than women. That's true. And you bring Taylor Swift into the mix, and I mean, shit, Stefan hey. Molyneux might be a furry now after this. Look, there are a lot of women that are into Taylor Swift, and also this is a musical. So maybe this will be the thing that brings balance between the genders. Maybe everyone will unite to see Cats and and really love it together as a unit. Yeah, mm. I'm. I'm just going to see this <laughs> out of pessimistic about that morbid curiosity. We'll see it quickly because like it's a huge flop, so it might be out of theaters pretty soon. Why aren't they talking about pulling it and just fixing their faces and then going and putting them back? I think that they're, they're actually doing that at some theaters right now as we speak. Damn, I gotta go see it, like, right now. Yeah, so you can see it in its worst form. Absolutely. So, another good episode, another good conversation. Sorka, we hope to have you on soon about something that's not a brutal nightmare and an indictment of an entire apathetic generation and system of government that can only be resolved through painful exposure to horrors as yet unseen by the body politic. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll get you back on for something slightly lighter. <laughs> I look forward to it. I always have fun on these. All right. So um, if, you want, if you're listening to this, thanks a lot. Have a good one. Uh, talk to you again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All that stuff. Talk to you again after a while. Bye-bye.